0: All right, so we are uh, we are trekking through the book of Hebrews. If you haven't picked up on that, we're just going through this book, this incredible book called Hebrews, and we're doing it almost line by line. So uh, we've had a couple weeks of this, and now today we're in chapter 2, and uh, I'm going to read to you verses 5 through 10. It's on the screen behind me, and uh, it's also on that blue bulletin that you have there as well. Let's see what it says today. This is about Jesus and our destiny it is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we're speaking but there is a place where someone has testified what is man that you're mindful of him the son of man that you care for him you made him a little lower than the angels you crowned him with glory and honor and you put everything under his feet and putting everything under him God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom, everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering okay let's have a little audience participation if we can this morning all right who here this morning is sitting next to a control freak All right. Who said, thank you. you. I see your hand. Thank you very much. Okay. Some of you, some of you don't know the person sitting next to you, but you can, you can see it in their eyes. You just know, you know, so you can raise your hand too. If you're looking at that person, you don't even know that. And listen, most of us has somebody on the right or left, so they don't know who you're talking about, but you just know it's a control freak, right? So why, why is that? Why are people control freaks? Where does that come from? And don't, isn't it like on some level, aren't all of us control freaks? In some way, shape, or form, aren't we all control freaks? What we're going to see in the scripture today is that God designed us to be control freaks. Kind of. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us today. Uh, This is your word, and uh, we need some understanding of it. It uh, really appears, as we read through Hebrews, to be very, very important. Uh, These words, very foundational Our understanding of you and of life and of ourselves. So, God, speak to us clearly, in Christ's name, Amen. Okay, we have been uh, we have been talking about angels. Why have we been talking talking so much about angels? You know, here's what. And anytime something in the Bible strikes you as odd or funny or you know what is going on here, you've got to stop for a second, back up, and say, what is going on here? The Book of Hebrews. Very clear purpose. It's about lifting up who Jesus is. It's who is Jesus. It describes to us in great detail who is Jesus Christ. Okay? And in a book that does that, why do we spend most of the entire first chapter of Hebrews focusing on angels? And now in chapter 2, we're back to angels again. What's the deal with angels? Why are angels so... I didn't know angels were so important. Oh, maybe the writer of Hebrews knew. That Americans in the year 2010 would really believe a lot in angels. You know, we talk about being touched by an angel and all these. I said last week, the survey says that Americans, 80% of us believe in angels. 55% of us here this morning showed up with our guardian angels, according to surveys that have been taken. Why is it? Maybe I mean, d- does the writer of Hebrews know that the angels are so important? Well, what exactly is going on? Let's go through this. Verse number five says it this way. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come. Let's stop right there. It's not to angels. Subjected. Subjected is a Greek military word. It means chain of command. So he says this. It's not to angels that the chain of command is made. So who is in charge is basically what it's saying. So the writer is saying it's not to angels. Angels, huge, mighty, incredible beings. They're not in charge of the world to come. Who is in charge of the world to come? Well, Hebrews chapter 1, the beginning of it, tells us really clearly who's in charge of the world to come. It says it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is in charge of the world to come. It it, it, it makes that really clear. Now, I want to stop for a second um, because I, I remember last week, if you were here in the 930 service, somebody walked out 930. I need to do some housekeeping. I was talking last week about Jesus and his title, his his title as son of God. And I was trying to say last week, I was trying to say that that title son is not an eternal title of jesus christ and somebody walked out last week and they said are you saying that jesus christ did not exist until the you know until the incarnation and uh, no that's not what i'm saying so that's why i'm stopping to saying this right now let's get super clear so I, I somehow i miscommunicated something last week to somebody right jesus has always existed but the title son has not always existed it only went into play when he took on flesh is that clear it's not clear at all okay let's go on anyway there you go i, I gave my best shot at it okay <clears throat> so we're talking about jesus so he's in charge in, in what is to come and we see in revelation chapter five that he 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 is given ownership and we went that whole thing about ownership and then he takes the ownership back over who is he taking that ownership from Who is in the charge of the world now? This is what we need to figure out. So it's clear he's in charge of the world. And when it says world, it means this inhabited earth, this planet. He's in charge of this planet to come. So who's in charge of the planet now? All right, Genesis 1.26, all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1.26, Adam and Eve. God says, let's create men and women in our image, and they will what? They will rule everything. They will rule absolutely everything. It's exactly what is said to us in Psalm chapter 8, and it's what's said to us here in Hebrews chapter 2. Look at it on your sheet or behind me or in the Bible that lays on your lap. This is what it says. Hebrews 2.6 says basically the same thing that, that Psalm chapter 8 says. It's, but there is a place where someone has testified. Now here's Psalm 8. What is man that you mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels, yet... You have crowned him with glory and honor, and you've put everything under his feet. The psalmist is saying, whoa, this is incredible. Angels, mighty, but you didn't give him the charge of this world. You gave people. And the psalmist says, I can't believe this. God, how is it that I am so important? How is it that I am so significant to you? How is it that we are so significant to God that God has given us command, charge, rule of this planet this is what the psalmist is talking about that is what genesis chapter one talks about that god has given humanity men and women the crown of this planet we command we are kings and queens of this planet why is it that we have such a strong inclination to rule and to command and to control because god designed us that way so, if you're a control freak here this morning and somebody just outed you a few moments ago and they raised their hand and pointed at you, I'd like you to turn and look at your neighbor and say, "God made me that way. So get over it." <laughs> this is what we see here. This is this is who we are. Now, where does the problem come in, everybody? Well, there is a problem. Let's be honest. There's a big problem. We lost, speaking of humanity, Adam and Eve, and all of us in Adam and Eve as our great-great-grandparent, father figure, mother figure, right? We lost the crown. We lost our command. We lost the right to rule. This is very foundational, but this is actually very, very important to us understanding ourselves and us understanding life and understanding how we interact in the world and what goes on inside of us. We lost that. Now, who did we lose that to? Genesis chapter 3. Why does Hebrews talk so much about angels when it's trying to tell us about who Jesus Christ is? Why? Because the command was lost to an angel, Lucifer. An angel. You've got Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. Lucifer, the fallen angel, who we call the devil, usurped the crown and deceives Adam and Eve and wins the command and the rule of this earth. This is what we see in Genesis chapter three. That is why angels are so important. So, Jesus says on two different occasions, very clearly, in speaking of the devil, John chapter twelve and John chapter fourteen. He says, he says, Jesus says, the devil is the prince quote the prince of this world. He's the prince. Look on your on your uh, outlines or right behind me, Ephesians chapter six. Very interesting verse. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against who? The rulers. Who's the rulers? Is it, are we struggling against God? Are we struggling against ourselves? The struggle is against the rulers. It's against who? The authorities. Somebody's in charge. Who's in charge? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities. It's against the powers of this dark world. And the Bible says it so clearly in 1 John 5, 19. It says this. The world is under the control of the evil one. Let's take a time out. For some of you, this is very disturbing. And I just want to say to you, this is very disturbing to me too. And I'll tell you why it's disturbing to me. Because I was always raised with this phrase, God is in control. I still say it today. It's habitual. And it's comforting to me. It's comforting to me because I've always heard that. It's comforting to to me because, like, oh, yeah, God is in control, you know. So whatever happens... You know, God is in control. There's just one slight problem with the phrase. It's not biblical. And that's a problem. It's important if we are followers of Jesus or we want to really study God's word and we want to live by the Bible that we actually make this attempt to be biblical in our viewpoint of what's going on in the world. And it's not biblical. According to Jesus Christ, he's not in control of the world right now. The devil is in control. This whole world is under the control of the enemy The devil. Now, if you back away from that, if you back away from it, that starts to make sense when you look at our world, doesn't it? It makes a whole lot more sense with the stuff that you see going on on this planet. Case in point. So what happened after Genesis chapter three and the crown passes to the devil? What happens to this planet? All kinds of problems happen to this planet. The first thing that happens, Genesis chapter four, death on the planet, Cain kills his brother abel there's murder there's strife there's problems immediately we're told what was it It's the ground people said to me you know you know god he's in control of hurricanes right so why did he send the typhoon or the hurricane or all this kind of stuff and what do you see when the crown passes from adam and eve to the devil it says thorns and thistles it tells us they corrupt the ground that nature itself is corrupted We see floods, we see death, we see murder, we see strife. When the crown passes from Adam and Eve to the devil, all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose on this earth and has been going on ever all the way to this point. God created us to rule this great and mighty planet, everybody. Listen, but now we can't control or master anything. And yet inside of us, there is a struggle wanting to control because God designed us that way. We can't control life or death, can we? Well, you, could, you could eat healthy as a horse. You could exercise every day. And you could walk right out of here and drop dead in a second. You can't control life or death. You can't control the weather. We've got all these fancy instruments, right, that show us the weather. I mean, last year, it was only supposed to snow a couple inches. And if you lived around here, you know that did not happen. We can't control the weather. we got all these super-duper Dopplers, and they still, the weather does whatever the weather wants to do. We can't control the weather. We can't control hurricanes and earthquakes and floods and tornadoes. We can't control crime. We try to, but we can't lock it down and make it not happen. We can't control war. We're talking about, the Bible says we'll cry for peace, peace, and we're crying for peace, peace, and there's war everywhere, right? We can't control money, obviously. We can't control money. Addictions, relationships, we can't control our kids. Who here is under the delusion that is a parent who still thinks you can control your kids? We can't control our kids. You think you could, You take your kids out one night, ready for them to act perfect. What are they going to do to you? They're going to humiliate you, right? <laughs> Finally, we can't control our spouse, right? Anybody say amen to that? We cannot control our spouse, and God knows we try. But it does not happen the bible says that we can't even control our tongues everybody and so here we have the masters of the planet you and i given rule and reign and now we can't control anything we can't even master ourselves this is a problem and what kind of problem is it it's an identity crisis we are suffering an identity crisis commanders without a command We don't know who we are. Adam and Eve, before Genesis chapter 3, never asked who they were. Were they significant? Did they have a place in this world? Who were they? What were they? Where were they going? They knew clearly their identity. And since Genesis chapter 3, we have all been asking the question over and over and over again. Who am I? Do I have a place in this world? What is my identity? What am I doing There is nobody that doesn't suffer with insecurities. There is nobody that doesn't have an identity crisis and self esteem issues. I know of no one. All of us, on some level, suffer with that. Well, where is all that coming from? It all started in Genesis 3. We were created and designed to be rulers, and yet we can rule nothing and master nothing now. And there's all kinds of turmoil inside of us. Now, that's the bad news, isn't it? That's the depressing news. Is there any good news? There's a glimmer of good news. Let's focus the rest of our time on the glimmer. Verses 8 and 9. All right. So it ends by saying, verse 8, well, the start of it says this, this whole phrase. And so God's put everything under humanity's feet. And in putting everything under him, Adam and Eve, us, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet, here we go, yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. So we get confused sometimes. think, like, oh, you know... I read in the scripture that God is in control and that we are going to rule and reign with him. So this really clears it up, says, yep, that's true. But yep, not yet. Not yet. Revelation 5 has not happened yet. Hasn't happened yet. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. And now he is crowned with glory and honor. He is now crowned with glory and honor. You know, Jesus never randomly did anything. So read through the Bible and read through some of the stories and the Gospels about the life of Jesus Christ. We think, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, I guess just wanted to, maybe Jesus just wanted to kind of throw that in there, or the writers just wanted to throw that thing in there. I'm not sure what significance that has to my life, but uh, it seems pretty like a neat story. Jesus never did anything random or without um, a specific meaning. And so we see this. So, so Jesus is on a boat one day, and he's asleep and this storm comes up right huge storm and his disciples are going absolutely crazy and they're afraid that they're going to die and they go and they shake him and they say jesus what what is wrong with you don't you care that we're all going to die and he gets up and he looks around and he sees the storm and he sees the wind and he says cut it out and he sits back down now maybe he kind of walked like this back over to his seat i don't know how i did that <laughs> I'm not sure, but but why did he do that, everybody? What's what's up with that? Is there a reason for that? Or is that just kind of a cool story? Whoa, man, because the disciples are, whoa, he commands the weather. woo that's neat. It's very specific. Weather. Our world is out of whack now that we're supposed to be in charge of And so Jesus is saying, I, I I rule the weather. I command it. It's underneath my charge. This is why I did this. Money. Can we talk about money for a second? Something that we can never have enough of and we can't seem to control if we could control it we'd put it all into our bank accounts right we can't control it so jesus christ he was born in a manger he had no position he had no title he has nothing he says he does not even have a place to lay his head he doesn't even own a home so they come to him one day says jesus are you gonna are you gonna pay this temple tax this dues that you that you owe he says peter could you go down to the lake over here i want you to throw a line in the water pull a fish out the first fish you pull out He's going to be a coin inside of him. Go and pay the tax. Now, this is a person who has no problems with money. I mean, he's pulling money out of the mouths of fishes. It's like, you know, if you have a dog, uh, you know, if I need to pay a bill, let me call my dog Butterscotch over here. It's the name of my daughter's dog. Butterscotch, Buttercup is the dog's name. Buttercup, Butterscotch, whatever name. Come over here. Let me pull, (laughs) pull, you know, let me pull a couple hundred dollar bills out of your mouth. This is a person who has no problem with money. Specific. He commands money. He commands the way. What else is he command? Health, healing, right? Life, death, people with diseases, boom, he's healing them all over the place. How about animals? Is he in charge of animals? We just saw the thing with the fish, but how about this? One day, it says Peter and his boys, they're out and they're fishing and they're all night fishing, haven't caught a thing, and that's when you catch fish. You catch fish. These are the experts. The experts is Peter. He's a fisherman. This is his trade. She says, You catch anything? No, I didn't catch anything. What are you doing? I'm calling a day. Days over. You can't catch anything out. I want you to go back out and catch something. Peter says, What? Carpenter? Man, Jesus, what are you talking about? It's over. All right, but because you say I will, I'll go back out. They caught the biggest catch they ever had. Why? Because Jesus commands animals. He's in charge of everything that there possibly is. How about crime and problems and strife in relationships? So Jesus Christ, on numerous occasions, there was a lot of people angry at him. So one occasion, it says they drove him all the way to the top of the hill of the town he was in because they were going to throw him down and stone him. And he let him drive all the way to that point. And he's cool, calm, and collective. And then he just says, okay, that's it. And the crowd parts, and he walks right through. What? Hey, what's the purpose of all these stories? Jesus saying, I'm commanding everything. You want to command everything the same way. Now, listen. Yeah, let's be honest, inside of you, and I know you're not going to shake your head, <laughs> but you want to command everything that same way. And I'm, what I'm saying to you today is that's the way God designed you. But we just all suffer an identity crisis. And the only way for us to reclaim our true identity the way God created us to be is through Jesus Christ. Because we can't rule and reign without him. We have to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. This is the ultimate Cinderella story. Our significance and our identity and our security and our self-esteem and who I am and who you are is found in Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He won the crown back. And he came and he claimed that crown and he says to us, graciously, I invite you, and the scripture says this over and over, I invite you to sit on thrones beside me and to once again rule and reign one day in the future to reclaim our true identity. It is the ultimate Cinderella story against all odds, against all visible reality that we can rule and reign with God. Now, this information is very humbling. If we receive this information and we believe it and we grasp it, it will change the way that we look at ourselves and it will change the way we look at a life. It would not do it in an arrogant way but it does it in a very humbling way because it is only through Jesus Christ, not on our own, can any of this be done. So let's conclude by saying this. Let's think about King David for a moment. King David, the greatest king of Israel, the greatest king of Israel. Where did he start? Where did he begin? We read about him in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, what we're told is that God, because of some very bad decisions that King Saul made, God pulls the kingdom away from him. He doesn't pull him out of the position yet, but he, in essence, and spirit, pulls him out. And God says, I've chosen another to the prophet Samuel. Now, Samuel, wise and discerning. God says, I want you to go to Jesse, and I'm going to show you who's the next king, and I want you to anoint him with oil. So Samuel goes. Jesse has a number of sons, big, tall, strapping, good-looking, leadership, style, all those elements that you would look for in a person to be the king. He has those. And so, you know, here's Samuel and Jesse's, I want you to, I, Jesse, I want you to bring your sons to me. And so there they are sitting in a circle and they he, one by one oldest. He parades the men and here comes the oldest and Samuel stands up. Oh, that's it. He looks presidential. He looks like a king. He must be it. And God says, that's not it. And so Samuel says, okay, let's get the next one. And they bring the next. And it's not him and the next. And finally he says, that's it. That's, that's all the sons you have. And Jesse says, and you can almost hear the disappointment in his voice as you read the words. He says, ah, there's one more. You know, there's the runt of the litter. I still have him, you know, Mr. Insignificant, tiny little fella. You know, I just put him out in the pasture and he keeps watch of the sheep. Does anybody ever feel like the runt of the litter ever? He says, well, Sam's call him in. Let's see if we can do anything with him. He calls him in. And the moment he comes, here comes this little fellow, a little short guy named David. And God says, That's him. That's him. Anoint him with oil. He's the next king. Now, let's fast forward. Next chapter. That's 16. What happens in 17? In chapter 17, there's this huge showdown. Goliath comes and challenges the Philistines, everybody. And this is really important. He comes and he challenges. Goliath. What, what do we know about Goliath? Was he tall? Was he, tall? he was tall. He's really tall. He's like really tall, right? And so he's like, who's going to fight me? And he challenges day after day after this big, huge. Now, what do we know about Israel? What is King Saul? What do we know about King Saul? Is he tall? Yes. Tall Saul. That's what they called him. Tall Saul. Big guy. Big guy. So day after day, Sean, who should go out, everybody, and fight Goliath? Who should, as the leader of Israel and who is tall, go out and fight the tall man? The king. King Saul should have done it. Is the king ready to go? No, he didn't want any part of that. So here comes little David. His dad sends him out. I want you to take some food to your brothers. You know, they're up there and fighting this war or whatever. I you to take some food to him. So here comes little, you know, insignificant nobody, King David. But he's just been anointed king. He just gathered information that he is in command of the nation of Israel. Nobody knows him, has no title. But he's just been told, I am a ruler In the name of God. That's what he's been told. and He shows up and he sees this guy, this huge giant. And here's a little tiny fellow. And he says, nobody's going to fight him. I'll go fight him. And he's calm. Everybody's freaked out about him. And he's like, it's no problem. I got it. He's calm. He's cool. He's collective. He's not arrogant. He's consistent. And he goes out and he defeats the enemy. When we understand who we are in Jesus Christ, where we are now and where we're headed, it changes the way that we look at the world around us. And that's the significance of Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to celebrate communion this morning. So those who are going to help, if you could move to those positions, and I need to explain something to you just real briefly, logistically, and then I'm going to say a few words about how all this connects to this message here today, okay? We're going to serve communion in five different places. We are here now at Thomas Jefferson Middle School where no food or drink is allowed in this auditorium right you've seen our policemen that we have at the front doors okay this is not our rule this is the school's rule and we're abiding by the authority the school that's here so we can't bring food or drink in here but we can have communion but we can only kind of do it a certain way so what's going to happen is is there's five different locations as you'll see here and here 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 and here and you'll go in just a moment after i pray and you'll, you'll grab the bread, you'll take the bread, and you'll dip it into the cup. And then we just ask that you com- consume communion that's right there. Logistically, that's how that's going to be done. And then when I pray, we're not going to dismiss you in any order. Whenever you feel the Spirit prompting you to move, we encourage you to do so. And then after a good amount of time, the music team is then going to uh, bless us and send us forth in the day. That's logistics. Let me tell you the spiritual aspect of this. In Jesus' day, when two people would enter into an agreement, a legal binding contract, a legal binding contract, a cup of wine was poured. And the person who was offering the contract would extend it to the other person and say, Do you accept? Do you want to enter into this deal that I am offering you? And if the person accepted the deal, They would take the cup and they would drink it. And that is communion. What Jesus Christ says to us today is this very clearly. Do you accept this deal? Do you accept the deal that on my coattails and because of what I have done to receive me as the Lord and as the Savior of your lives and to one day reclaim your true identity? Do you take that deal? And if you take that cup and you drink that cup What you are confessing in spirit and heart and in action is, yes, I take that deal. The whole focus of Hebrews is that Jesus Christ offers us a better deal. Gives us understanding of who we are and where we are going. That is what communion is all about. I want you to think about that this morning as you go to take the bread and the cup. Are you tangibly receiving the offer of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father. I ask, Lord, that you would bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup and the receiving of this cup, God, and all that it means to who we are and our own identities and who we are in you. God, I pray as we receive you this morning that, Lord, that you would just clear up so many things and so much turmoil that goes on in our lives. Lord, that we would move towards that day when we would sit and rule and reign with you once again, graciously and humbly and righteously all around you. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. It is incredible. In your holy name, amen.